It makes me laugh. I've seen it several times. It makes me laugh. My favorite line in there is when Leonard Nimoy says, heat will vanish. (laughs) That's not how it works, but okay. I have a personal theory that New Year's Eve can be a huge letdown. I mean, you have all this anticipation, all this expectation building up for this fun-filled night, and then you leave annoyed and tired. You, you always think, this year will be different, and then it's never different. I don't remember very many New Year's Eves, but not for the reason that you might think. <laughs> I just find them kind of boring, or at least I have, but I remember New Year's Eve 1999. I was at a party, and the main topic of conversation at the party is, will the lights go out completely at midnight because of you know, the looming doom from computers no longer working? In hindsight, I should have just turned out the lights at midnight. Pandemonium would have been a good joke. Now, we were watching Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, counting down to midnight, and whatever famous artist was on TV, you know, kind of watching, humming along. I mean, who am I kidding? It was the Backstreet Boys, I do remember. It was the Backstreet Boys. And so they're, they're singing along. We're kind of watching the TV. But as, as the, the night continued, we, we got quieter and quieter. It wasn't really that same fun vibe party atmosphere, you know. We, we stopped kind of even paying attention. It was just quiet and the vibe changed, and then the crystal ball lit up on Times Square, you know, and five, four, three, two, <laughs> nothing, not a zip, zero, nothing. Are you kidding? That's a huge letdown. Y2K, the biggest letdown of all time. I mean, I had friends who, like, hoarded materials, you know, built a, a shed in the backyard just in case. I don't know, like, Y2K and zombie apocalypse is the same thing, but I think they thought it was, and they were ready to go, you know. And, and normally we'd hear Happy New Year, you know, maybe you'd kiss a loved one or something, but not at this party. It was dead quiet. You could hear a, a pin drop. I think we were just waiting, you know for this thing that wasn't going to happen, anything to happen, but nothing did. And a few minutes, we were walking out of the party, kind of going home, and one of my friends said, this is it? Kind of a letdown? There are a lot of buildups and letdowns in life. There are some trivial ones. Have you ever gone to a movie really looking forward to it, and you get in there, you get your popcorn, you get your, your Coke, and you're sitting there, and you watch it, and you leave going, the book really was better. This is it? Or you, or you get ready for that vacation you've been saving, you're ready, you're on the beach and it rains like all four days that you're there. And there are people everywhere and you can't get to in line for the, the food and you're like, this is it? Like, I've been waiting for this. Or you get that brand new car and you've been waiting for it, you've been anticipating it. You finally got it. A couple weeks later, you're there at the stoplight. Somebody's looking over at you. you going, man, this didn't feel like I thought it would feel. This is it. Maybe there are some other areas in your life, you know, somebody who's been married for a couple of years and the honeymoon is kind of fading away and you're looking in the mirror and you're going, this is it, this is what I signed up for. Or maybe you're going to work and you go, my finances, this is it, and, and my work and my relationships and The house isn't quite what I want it to be, and there's just dissatisfaction all over the place, and you just don't know what to do. 
And you're frustrated and you're annoyed and you go, this is it. Or maybe it's the exact opposite of that. Everything should be going well. You have a good job, good marriage, good kids, good house. Everything's going the way you think it should. And you still think right there, going to sleep, this is it. This is what life has. We think that in our spiritual lives, too. There are a lot of those this is it moments. Maybe you put a lot of time into reading your Bible this year. You've done the Ridge Reading Challenge or you, you downloaded a, a Bible app and you've had this devotional life that you've never had before and it has changed very little, you think. And you go, this is it? Maybe you're in a life group, you finally joined one and they're nice people and all, but you knew nice people before. And you go, this is it? This is supposed to change something? Or maybe you come to church for the first time, maybe ever, or in a long time, and you go, this is it? That's not what I expected at all. Or maybe you go to church a lot. You come regularly. You come, and, and you check the boxes. You, you think, and you pray, and you pay attention, and you sing with your hand high, and you pray with your eyes closed tight, and you go, but this is it? Because on the way home, you're evaluating, you're thinking, you're going, like, this can't be it. Is this it? And if we're honest, many of us are just surviving, going from day to day or paycheck to paycheck or relationship to relationship, and we just can't figure things out. We stumble through our day, you know, task to task, clamoring to get this step ahead that we, we've been promised that we can do, but we always feel like we're a few steps behind and we work hard or we try to take care of our families or we try to do the right thing. And with what's little left in our tank at the end of our day when we're drifting off to sleep, we think, this is it? This is what we were made for? To barely keep it together. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the answer to this question. This is it. We're going to talk about what it means not just to survive, but to thrive in our prayer life, in the study of our Bible, thrive in our generosity, thrive in our schedules, thrive through worship. And that's what we're talking about today, worship. Spoiler alert, in Jesus we have this opportunity not just to survive, but thrive. I don't think that surprises anybody. We were made for more. It's just not in the way that we think. We think it's more happiness, maybe more money, more of what we want and what we need. But that's not what it is. Now, before we dig in, we're going to talk about worship. I'd like to pray for us just so that we can kind of get our mind focused on God today. So once you bow your head, I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we admit, I admit that I feel like this sometimes, that that I put in some effort, I put in some work, and I feel like this is it. feels a little empty. So help us today. Help us today take a next step in relationship with you. Draw close to you. As we talk about worship and what that means, what that looks like, help us to obey. Help us to listen. Open our hearts. Open our, our ears, our minds to what you would have us do, how you would have us interact. Help us be thankful for even the opportunity to gather together today. Lord, we ask for you to show us what it means to worship you. 
And it's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen. Now this word, worship, it's misused a lot. We don't understand it as well as we think. The layman's term is kind of something that we like a lot, right? We worship something that we like a lot, kind of like, I don't know, the Indianapolis Colts. That's a good example for me. I like them. Does that mean I worship them? Maybe a TV show that you really like, This Is Us, you just love it, cry everything about it, and you go, does that mean that you worship it? Not necessarily. That's it's kind of a shallow view of, of worship. So let's kind of expand it. Well, maybe worship equals music. Have you ever heard that term, worship ye music? Maybe that's what it means. Now, it can mean music. The Bible actually talks a lot about worship and music, but it's not just music. What we do here on Sunday morning Even the worship service, sometimes that's what it's called. Some churches call the place that they gather the worship center. Have you ever interacted with any of those terms? And we think, okay, so it's what I do in the hour on Sunday, or it's what I do like when I'm interacting with church people, that's worship. Those things can be worship, they're a part of it, but that's not the biggest kind of fullest view. So let's define it. Here's this working definition. Worship is our response to who God is by honoring what he has done. Worship is our response. So worship is a behavior. It's something that we can choose to do. And it's a response to who God is. He's the object of our worship. He should be what's front and center when we worship. And what do we do? We honor God. We show him he's first in our life. We respond to who he is because of what he's done. And what he's done mainly is he sent Jesus to die on the cross. We were separated from God because of our mistakes, our sin. Jesus lived that perfect life, died on the cross for our sins where we fall short, and then gives us into that full relationship with God. And that's what we are responding to, that grace. Here's another way maybe to kind of get, get the prime pumped a little bit. Here's another definition. This is from Richard Foster, Celebration of Disciplines, in his book. Worship is our response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. Worship is our response to God's love. Our response to honor God, to thank God, to obey God for what he's done for us. Easy enough. So, let's focus in on just a couple of verses in Scripture so we can learn about how we go about doing this. Now, we're going to interact with some writing from Paul. Now, Paul is an apostle. Apostle basically means he's a Christian teacher and thinker in the early days of the church. He wrote a bunch of the New Testament the second half of the Bible, and he wrote a bunch of letters to people who followed Jesus, and we're going to pick up a little bit of the letter he wrote to the Christ followers in Rome. This is what he says. This is Romans 12, 1 through 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Have you ever wished that God would just kind of email you? 
I have. I mean, even about worship, you know, dear Adam, this is God. Sorry about the weather in Indiana. This is what it means to worship, warm regards God, you know, that type of thing. Well, if you think about what the Bible is, it is that. It is God communicating to us. And this is him answering the question, well, what is worship? He lays it out pretty clearly if you're, if you're looking for it. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. We already talked about what he's done for us. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind you'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. If you ever heard the term living sacrifice, this is what it's talking about. That's the first takeaway on how to thrive in worship. Paul says, live for God. Oh, is that all? Everything about my life should reflect worship. Paul's saying, everything we do can be a response to God. Everything. Worship can be when you get your hair cut. Worship can be how you drive. I said that in first service. A bunch of people didn't like that. <laughs> Worship is how you eat. Worship is how you walk, how you talk, your marriage, the way you parent your kids, the way you manage your finances, the way you look at somebody, what you think about. Think of something that you do. Yes, it can be worship. That's intimidating to me. That seems like a lot. Everything. And he calls it being a living and holy sacrifice. Basically surrendering everything you are to Jesus as a response. So what does that look like in everyday life? Here's an example. Recently, there's a couple from our church driving down this busy Columbus road. They looked down and they saw what appeared to be a wallet in the middle of the road. It was near a stoplight. They stopped at the stoplight. They jumped out. They picked up the wallet, jumped back into the van, kind of continued on their journey. They looked in, kind of looking for an ID and stuff, found out there was around $1,000 in the wallet. Do you know what it feels like to lose your wallet at home? Can you imagine, you know, cashing your check or something on Friday, putting all the cash in the wallet, putting it on top of the car like when you're driving away and it and it falls off, that shallow feeling in the pit of your stomach that like swallows you whole. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Well, this couple was like, man, that, that's rough. So they decided to call the sheriff, give the wallet to the sheriff and kind of go about their day. Hopefully they'll take care of it and connect them. A couple of hours later, this couple got a phone call. And they got a phone call from the guy who lost his wallet. The sheriff gave him the information. And the guy who lost his wallet was in tears. And, and he's kind of talking, and he's going, I can't, I can't. Why in the world would you do this? Why? Nobody does this, is what he said. Here was their response to why in the world would you do this? They answered, because we love Jesus. And he goes, is there, is there anything I could do? Can I give you a little bit of money? And they go, tempting. But here, here's how you can pay us back. Why don't you check out our church? Why don't you check out the Ridge? I have no idea if that guy came. If he's here right now, hello. We're so glad that you're here. 
This is a great example of what we're talking about. In all different ways, anytime you're living your life, if somebody were to ask you, why in the world would you live your life this way, your response can be, because we love Jesus. Every single thing we do, the way we talk, the way we walk, what we think, how we act, breathe, can worship God, can be a response to God. So that's the first thing, live for God in every area of your life. Here's the second thing that Paul points out. You can worship by turning our focus on God. You can focus God. So there's some behavioral, but you can also focus your heart and your mind on God. Have you ever talked about your priorities with somebody and you know that you're being a hypocrite in the middle of talking about your priorities? Just me? This is what I mean. This is what I mean. Hey, what are your priorities, Adam? Well, first is God, and second is you know, my wife, Abby, and third is family, and fourth is work, and fifth is hobbies. When if I was telling the truth, I'd say, hey, so first is me, and second is me, and third and fourth are me, fifth, food, fourth, fifth, sixth, me. <laughs> right? That's, that's just me being honest. What if we took a microscope to our lives? We let somebody, kind of a, a forensic science, Scientists look and say, what are you spending your money on? What are you spending your time on? And what are you thinking about? What would come up? What would the report say? I started to do this, and I stopped because it was bumming me out. Because my money says I like comfort. My time says I care more about what people think than I should. Think about myself a lot. My thoughts say I care more about being happy and safe, which aren't bad things, but I think more about that than I do most other things. It says that I want to pursue these feelings. I want to feel a certain way. I want my life to make me feel a certain way. I want my marriage and my kids to make me feel a certain way. I want my church to make me feel a certain way. I want my relationship with God to make me feel a certain way. And we pursue these feelings and we think that that's worship. We think that that will fulfill us, but it doesn't because really, hear me, really that puts us at the center of the focus. And that's called idolatry. Anything that puts anything else other than God at the center of our focus is idolatry. And I am guilty as charged. But that's what we do. We say, yeah, I know the answers to the priorities. But we still focus on ourselves. What if we changed our focus? And we don't even just change our focus to these people in our lives that we care about, which is good, but we change our focus and we start asking, what would it look like for me to honor God in this situation? Our focus on God rather than on ourselves. What would our church look like? What would our communities look like? What would your family life look like if we changed our focus and it wasn't about me, 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 please, 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 anymore. And it started to be about God. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The behavior and customs of this world are me-centered. It focuses on ourselves. And he's saying, focus on God. Don't follow what makes you feel a certain way. Don't trust 
yourself, place your focus on God. So we should live for God, we should focus on God, and we should think about God. It's kind of a different way of saying both of those things. These are all similar, right? So how do we focus? How do we live for God? We think about God. And when we think about God, when we let God kind of take over our minds, he changes us, he transforms us. This is the rest of this verse. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So when we're focused on God, when we're living for God, we're cultivating a relationship. Worship helps us cultivate a relationship, helps us interact with God, helps us think about God. This is called practicing his presence. Did you know that God is with you wherever you are, whatever you're doing? That's why you can respond in worship in every area of your life, because he's there. And if you're thinking about God, letting him kind of change the way you think, that's how you know God's will. And it's not always, hey, God, do you want me to take this job or that job? Even though I think he does that, it's also, how can I respond to who God is right now, right day, in this very mundane little thing? You probably haven't heard of Nicholas Herman. I hadn't either. He was born in eastern France in 1611. Not much is known about his life. At the age of 40, he decided to join a monastery community in Paris. And for the rest of his life, he worked in a monastery kitchen, washing dishes, and also repairing sandals. That's what he did every day. Every day. Nobody would have imagined that this poor, humble guy would become famous but he's actually known to the world as a guy named Brother Lawrence. And you see, Brother Lawrence learned this, to commune with God, to practice the presence of God while he was washing dishes or running errands or fixing sandals. He died in 1691, and after he died, his friends kind of put together his letters and his journal and his writings, and they published a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And here's a quote from that book from Brother Lawrence. Think often on God by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He's always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. He came up with this idea while watching dishes. I watch TV while I watch dishes. That convicts me. That he spent this thing that I complain about, ask my wife, I complain about every time I do it, he used that to practice the presence of God. And it's these mundane things, or maybe it's these hard things, or maybe it's these amazing things. What he's saying is no matter what you're doing, where you are, you can worship God. God is always near And living for, focusing on, or thinking about God is just responding in that moment, no matter what, in that moment. So how do we we start this process? How can we practically live for God in our everyday? We're just going to go through some quick kind of starters in this area. Number one, prioritize time with God. Prioritizing God, I think... Is something we go, yeah, I should do that, but when we put it into practice, it's a little bit more difficult. 
So here's just some quick ways. Prioritizing time with God can start with actually putting aside a specific time to pray and read your Bible. You just say, hey, I'm going to set my alarm 10 minutes, 15 minutes earlier, and I've got it all set up, and I'm going to keep myself accountable to that. It's building that habit. Or maybe prioritizing time with God is saying, you know what, I'm going to go to church consistently on Sunday. We won't get into all the statistics of it, but national averages, people tend to go to church two out of six or seven Sundays. You're going to say, look, I'm going to commit to that. Next four Sundays, I'm going to go. I'm going to prioritize that time. Or maybe it's say, look, I've put off being in a life group a lot, but I'm, I'm going to prioritize that time. I'm going to actually take that step. I felt prompted to do it, but I'm not. Here's another way of saying it. What's your excuse to not prioritize that? For me, it really does come down with time. I go, I don't have time. I have time to do that. I mean, I have time to watch the Indianapolis Colts, whatever TV show. I have time to do a lot of different things. But I can't find time to do this. It's prioritizing that. It's really saying, hey, this is the number one priority. I'm going to stick to it. Put your priority where your mouth is, you know? We have a church value here that says we relentlessly pursue next steps. I love that value because that's a way of saying, hey, what's God prompting me toward next? We all have a next step. And if we can't identify it, that's what we're talking about today. What is God prompting you toward? Now, we have a Cultivate class coming up December 4th here at the Ridge. Cultivate is all about how we grow in our relationship with Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you're thinking, what is my next step? I don't know what my next step is. I don't know what to do in my relationship with Jesus. Check out this class. If you're thinking some of these Sundays in this series called Thrive, we're talking about worship and prayer and study and giving and generosity and rest If you go, I don't know how to do that, check out Cultivate. It's a great opportunity for you to prioritize time with God. Here's number two, give generously. Now, we're going to talk about this on another Sunday. But our response to who God is and what he has done is to acknowledge that everything we have is God's. So our time, our money, our efforts, everything, we can give those things generously. How much of your time, how much of your thinking, how much of your prayer life, how much of your money is focused on me? Not me, Adam, you. How much of it is focused on yourself? Could I give one of those things, thoughts, prayer life, money, time, generously? Number three, think of yourself less. I don't like this one. I thought about skipping it, but I need it. I, it's easy for me to get caught up in my little slice of the world, you know? But it's not about me. Isn't it weird that my relationship with God isn't even about me? It's about him. And one way to live for God is to think about him and to ask him what he wants you to do. How can I honor God in all of these situations? Less and less and less of me and more and more and more of him. That's really what worship drives us to. That's what it means to thrive in worship. It means that it's less of me and more of him. Even in the most mundane things, even when you're washing dishes, prioritize time with God, give generously, think of yourself less. These are ways to get us started 
and living for God, focusing on God and thinking about God. Remember that Y2K story? I think if we're not careful, we fall into this trap of living our lives like this is it. That we we get caught and we go, it doesn't feel right. And the question comes up and we go, this is it, how I spend my money or spending time with my kids or taking care of myself physically, admitting my mistakes, this is it, that's worship? Standing up for what God cares about, being encouraging rather than critical, being faithful, even when I'm suffering, forgiving over and over and over again, doing my best regardless of how I feel, this is it. That's what you're telling me. This is worship. But worship changes the question mark to a period because, yep, this is it. How I spend my money, spending time with my kids, taking care of myself physically, admitting my mistakes, this is it. This is worship. Standing up for what God cares about. Being encouraging rather than critical. Being faithful even when I'm suffering. Forgiving over and over and over again. Doing my best regardless of how I feel. This is it. It is. That's worship. So the question really I want to leave you with is, what does it look like for you to honor God in everything you do? And don't resist that question. Throughout this week, my prayer is at some point in time, God bothers you with that question. That you're going about driving your car, And you go, ah, this is it? This is it. Bow your heads, I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I have to confess to you that I am really bad at this. That I can stand up here and talk about responding to who you are and what you've done in this way and trying to honor you with everything. But I have to admit that I, I I fall short. I think we all fall short. So help us. Help us think more about you than we do ourselves. Help us live for you. Help us take something this week, something difficult or mundane, or something that we don't typically think as a response to who you are, and help us transform that thinking to focus on you and to thank you and to respond to you and what you've done. Just help us do that. Help us do that on the way home. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together today, that we have this opportunity to worship as we gather corporately, that not everywhere in the world has that opportunity. And I want to thank you for Jesus and the way that what he did as an act of worship, what he did through dying on the cross and raising again, on the third day, and conquering death and sin for us, that changes everything so that our worship can be magnificent because of who you are and what you've done. And thank you that that changes not just today and it being done today, but that changes eternity for us. That our worship today is just a glimmer of the joy and the hope and the peace and the rest we will have in you in eternity. We love you. We're thankful for Jesus, and it's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.